Let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Now I'll confess to you at the outset that Isaiah 6 is, believe it or not, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I know I say that a lot. It probably is my favorite chapter in the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's in a close tie with the 53rd chapter, uh, but it's, it's a powerful uh, illustration, or, or uh, not illustration, but testimony of Isaiah getting a vision of the Lord. And I've uh, preached through this, and I've read through this many times and contemplated it, but as I was reading through it this last time, even just this last week, I'm reading through the book of Isaiah and came across this chapter, and a different part of the chapter stood out to me than has in the past. Not that I haven't seen these things before, but just, you know, sometimes you just, you're reading through the Bible and something stands out to you and you just kind of chew on it for a while. I'll give you an example of that, just kind of a side note here. Uh, this last week I was thinking about the phrase... Uh, about Noah after he gets off the ark. And uh, it, it simply says, the Bible simply says, and Noah began to be an husbandman and planted a vineyard. And I got to thinking about that. Here, Noah was like over 600 years old, and he began to be an husbandman. He picked up a new habit and, uh, and, and a new hobby and, and, uh, and, and, and began to work at that. I just got, I don't know, I just was thinking about that this week. Do you ever do that? You ever just re read through the Bible and something just kind of, uh, catches your attention and you think about I love how the word of God is so practical to everyday life and how it's just so real and and uh, and and there's so much there that you can read through it and you won't get everything the first time or the tenth time or uh, we just never exhaust what God has here well when we come to Isaiah chapter 6 again I've been through this chapter many many times but a different part of it kind of stood out to me and I want to share some things with you this morning. So Isaiah 6, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. If you would stand with me as we read. We'll read the first 12 verses. All right, almost the whole chapter. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. <clears throat> and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. 
Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, today I pray that in some small way that we would be able to, like Isaiah, see you upon your throne high and lifted up. Father, may we come into your presence and get a glimpse of who you are. And Lord, may that the reality and awareness of who you are, your very character and nature, change us today as it did Isaiah. I ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I told you that there was part of this chapter that stood out to me in a different way than it had before. And we're going to get to that after a little while, but I want to kind of lay the scene for you today. This is a, a powerful chapter. You've, if you're reading through the book of Isaiah, you get through the first five chapters and, and find that the Lord has been using Isaiah to prophesy. He's been prophesying and then in the middle of all that, he stops and he recounts this instance in his life where the Lord gave him the opportunity to see himself, to see God, to see the Lord upon his throne high and lifted up. Now, there is some debate as to exactly what took place here, uh, whether this was something that happened at the beginning of Isaiah's ministry before he was called, or if it was something that happened later on. I think it's interesting that it says it was in the year that King Uzziah died that he saw the Lord on his throne. There's some interesting implications to that that we won't even uh, scratch the surface of today because there's a lot that we could get into. But if you go back to chapter 1, in verse number 1, it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which... So, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So at some point, Isaiah was prophesying during the reign of Uzziah, and this particular vision that he saw was sometime in the year that King Uzziah died. So it seems to me that this was a, 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 an experience that Isaiah had during his prophetic ministry, not necessarily at the beginning, but during his prophetic ministry, maybe early on in his prophetic ministry, where the Lord gives him a glimpse of himself. And it would seem as though this was actually the point where Isaiah was converted because he recognizes himself for what he is. He acknowledges to the Lord that he is a sinful man, and that uh, seraphim comes and he takes that live coal as we read and he puts it on his lips and he says in verse number 7, Lo, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. And that's what happens at the moment of salvation. Now I'm not necessarily saying dogmatically to you today that Isaiah began his prophetic ministry before he was saved, 
but I, I just want to say to you that this was a transformative event in the life of Isaiah. This was something that God did that changed Isaiah from that moment forward. What was it? Well, it wasn't necessarily God coming to him and giving him some kind of information or news. It wasn't God making a covenant with Isaiah. It was simply the Lord allowing Isaiah a glimpse of his majesty and his glory. And when Isaiah saw that, it changed him forever. Can I say to you this morning that I believe that all of us could really use to get a glimpse of God, who he is, uh, his person, his majesty, his authority, his holiness, his righteousness, his power, and his glory. And I believe that if we would see God today in a way that we have not seen him before, that it would change us, and it ought to change us. And so I want to just kind of delve into this a little bit with you as we kind of set the scene for what's going on here. I want to show you the revelation that Isaiah saw. He says in verse number 1 of chapter 6 here, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Do you know that when Isaiah saw God in his throne room there in heaven, when, when Isaiah saw God, he recognized immediately that his throne was the centerpiece of all of heaven. Why is that important for us to understand? <clears throat> because I think a lot of times we tend to view even heaven as something that's kind of about us. You know, someday I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to walk on those golden streets and, and I'm going to have a mansion that's been prepared for me and I'm going to uh, get to be reunited with those loved ones that have gone on before and all of those things are true. But I, can I say to you this morning that, that those things are actually secondary, those things that I just mentioned are peripheral in comparison to, the, to being in the presence of the Lord himself. Uh, what, what Isaiah saw wasn't all the departed saints that had gone on before him. What he saw wasn't the majesty and splendor of heaven. Boy, this is a wonderful and beautiful place. What Isaiah saw was the Lord was on his throne high and lifted up, and his train, his presence filled the whole place. God was the centerpiece. And also I want you to notice that it says in verse number 2, Above it stood the seraphims, which <clears throat> each, each one had six wings. With twain, or with two, he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. These seraphims, <coughs> excuse me this morning, I'm going to put a cough drop in, my throat's drying out. These seraphims, these angelic beings, spent their time doing nothing but proclaiming the holiness of God. <coughs> these angels had six wings. Two of these wings existed only to cover their face. 
<coughs> Excuse me. Why did they have to cover their face? Because even angelic beings couldn't fully behold the majesty and glory and holiness of God. Think about that with me. God is holy. And I believe that so frequently we approach Him too casually. With no real fear, no real awareness of who God is. God's not just that old grandpa that sits up in the sky, the big guy upstairs. He's not just our buddy that exists to, to be there with us and to do things for us. When Isaiah saw the Lord for who he was, he realized God doesn't exist for man, but man exists for God. He saw the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. He realized it's all about him. And I want you to notice his response. <clears throat> Verse number five. <clears throat> it says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. <clears throat> Do you know when you come into the presence of the Lord and you are aware of who He is, you'll also suddenly be aware of who you are? And when you become aware of who you are in light of who He is, you're not going to feel real good about yourself. There are a lot of churches that you could go to today that their primary goal is to make you feel good about yourself. Now, I like to encourage people. I, I believe that, <clears throat> that we ought to encourage and edify people. But our primary purpose is not to make people feel good about who they are. My primary purpose as a preacher of the Word of God, is to show you how good He is, to make you feel good about who He is, but also very aware of who we are in light of Him. And folks, the reality is there is not one of us who can come into the presence of God without saying, woe is me. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah was aware of his sinful condition. Notice what he says. Because I am a man of unclean, I love this, unclean lips. He didn't say I'm a man of unclean hands. Hands represent what we do. He didn't say I'm a man of unclean feet. Feet represent where we go. He said I'm a man of unclean lips. Why did that matter? I believe because Isaiah is actually saying in a moment... <clears throat> The Lord is going to call him to preach the gospel, to preach the word of God to people. But he recognizes in this moment, even my lips are not worthy to proclaim the truth and the goodness of God. Did you know that we as sinners are so far from God that we actually, in our own sinful condition, have no right to even sing praises to the Lord like we have this morning? I mean, there's not one of us that, that, that is good enough to even 
utter His name through our lips. We're unclean. <clears throat> Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You say, well, you know, I've seen people that are a lot worse off than I am. Yeah, but Isaiah didn't, wasn't looking at people. Amen. He said, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I've seen Him, and when I see Him, I see me for who I really am. And I'm not even worthy to speak His name. He's aware of his condition. This is what happens, by the way, when a person gets saved. We see ourselves as sinners like God sees us. And in repentance, we turn from that wickedness and sin to Jesus, realizing that he is our only hope. We trust in his shed blood alone to save us. And we receive forgiveness. I love what, <clears throat> what the... This situation with the seraphim that takes a coal from off the altar and he touches those lips. And he says, here, your sin is cleansed, your iniquity is purged. Your lips are now clean. You are now able to worship God. You're now able to proclaim the goodness of the Lord. You no longer are a man of unclean lips. <clears throat> he saw himself of uh, as who he was, he was aware of his condition. But notice his response. There was absolute surrender. When you come into the presence of the Lord and you see him for who he is, there ought to be surrender. Lord, whatever you want from me, you deserve it. You are worthy. Verse number 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, those famous words, then said I, here am I, send me. Do you notice that God wasn't twisting his arm? God didn't say, Isaiah, I'm going to call you and, 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 and you need to surrender and I'm going to make your life miserable until you finally give in to me. That's not what happened here. Isaiah sees the Lord and, I, and the Lord presents a need. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I'll go, Lord. Why? Because I've seen the Lord and it changed me and, and I'm willing to do whatever He wants me to do. Absolute, complete surrender. What a powerful passage this is when you consider it. And then you come into the next part of the chapter. This next paragraph. How many of you at verse number 9 have a, uh, some, some kind of a symbol denoting a, a paragraph change there? Anyone? I do. And I've read this before, and I think I have seen <clears throat> two very distinct and separate sections. First, Isaiah talks about his vision and his response, and then he brings up what the Lord tells him to do. But notice what he says here, and he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy. Shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. So uh, the Lord says to Isaiah, here is your mission. You are now to go and preach to people that don't want to hear. 
and you are going to fill them with truth, but the truth, rather than turning their hearts toward me, is actually going to have the opposite effect. It's going to harden their hearts. It's going to push them away from me. That's your mission. And there are a lot of implications of this, and I want to talk to you about those things, but here's what, here's what really stood out to me and grabbed my attention probably for the first time as I was reading through this this last week. Isaiah was called to go and proclaim to the people essentially what he had just experienced. His, his goal was to preach to them in such a way that they would turn to the Lord knowing full well that they never would. Here's why that uh, uh, stands out to me. The very same truth that brought Isaiah to his knees was the same truth that would harden the hearts of the people of Judah. Have you ever considered that the very truth that transformed you and me, the gospel, can actually have an opposite effect on hearts that are not willing to receive it. There's one mission, proclaim the message that God has called us to proclaim, but we need to understand that different people are going to respond differently to the same message. When Isaiah came into uh, this understanding of God and who he is, it caused him to repent. It, it caused him to surrender. It caused him to give his life for the Lord. And now the Lord says, now I want you to go and take the message that I give to you to these people, but your, the outcome of your ministry is going to be different than you might expect. Because they're not going to hear. They're not going to listen. They're going to close their ears to the truth. And really all you're doing is loading upon them more and more accountability because you're presenting truth to them and they're accountable for the truth that they know, but it's not going to change them. Now, I don't know about you. I think that would be a pretty discouraging call. If God came to you tomorrow, and I know God doesn't speak to us today in an audible voice like he used to, because we have the word of God and so on. But hypothetically, if the Lord came to you and he said, I am calling you to go to such and such a mission field to these people, and you are going to give your life to get the gospel to these people. That's what you are going to do. And in your entire ministry for the rest of your life, you're never going to have one convert. In fact... Your ministry there, all it's going to do is cause them to close their ears to the truth, to reject the truth, and kind of lull them to sleep. That'd be a pretty discouraging thing, wouldn't it? However, Isaiah wasn't 
surrendering to a call because of the promise of a certain outcome. He was surrendering to a call because of the Lord that he had just seen. And he wasn't there serving the people of Judah and Jerusalem. He was there serving the king, the Lord of hosts. So the Lord says to, them, to him that he's going to preach. He's going to proclaim truth knowing that they are never going to receive it. And the same message that transformed him turned others away. Now listen to me. Sometimes we get discouraged and even give up in our efforts to proclaim the gospel to people because we're not seeing the results that we want to see. How many times have you passed a track to someone? How many times have you witnessed to someone, shared your testimony? How many times have you given the gospel to someone and they have not received it? You know, most Christians have never even led another person to Christ. And I think that's a sad thing. But the reality is, I have preached to a whole lot more people than I have ever led to Christ. I have witnessed to way more people than have actually gotten saved as a result of it. And while I'm thankful for those I've been able to lead to Christ, there are multitudes of others that have not come to Christ. And that feels discouraging if I'm looking for a certain result. If, however, I understand that regardless of the response, my responsibility is the same. The message is the same. Different people may respond differently, but we are all called to proclaim the truth of the gospel. I want you to hold your place here in Isaiah 6, if you will. Go with me to the New Testament, the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus has just gotten done telling a parable. And in verse number 10 of Matthew 13, it says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why are you not directly speaking truth to them? Why are you uh, telling them stories to illustrate truth? Instead, look at verse number 11. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him it shall be given, or to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Then he's going to quote Isaiah. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not. And hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears 
and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So even in the New Testament, this is playing out. In Jesus' day, in Jesus' ministry, here's what he's saying. I am speaking to them in such a way because they are not willing to hear the truth. But I speak plainly to you because you have willingly received the truth. Jesus' message affected some people differently than others. And did you know that every time the Word of God is preached, the same message may turn someone's heart to the Lord, it may turn others away. The difference is in the heart of the person receiving it. What was the difference between Isaiah and the rest of the men of Judah and Jerusalem? A willingness to receive truth. Jesus said it, didn't he? They, seen, they seeing see not. Why? Because, verse number 15, this people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Same message. But some have chosen not to receive it. Did you know that every time the truth of the word of God is presented, you have an opportunity and a responsibility to make a decision. You will either open your eyes and open your ears and receive what God has for you, or you will close your ears and close your eyes and reject it. And you can do that even sitting in a church chair multiple times a week and think that you are better off simply because you have heard the truth but you have not received it. And if that be the case, you and I, when we do that, are just like the people of Judah that God said in hearing, all it's going to do is make their heart fat. All it's going to do is it's going to add truth, but that truth isn't penetrating. And so they're just getting kind of lulled into this, this sleep because they think that they're better off for hearing the truth, but they're not receiving the truth. It's not transforming them. It's not changing them. It's not making a difference in their life. It's just coming in, but it's not actually affecting them. I told you in this chapter, Matthew 13, that Jesus has just gotten done telling a parable. That particular parable is the parable of the sower sowing seed. And the different types of ground, you remember he said this, that, that the sower sowed seed. And some fell on, what, stony ground, and some fell by the wayside, and some fell among thorns, some fell on good ground. Here's the thing without getting into all the different types of ground and what those represent this morning. That's not really the point. But I do think there's an interesting concept here. The wayside. The wayside ground. Some fell by the wayside. You know what the wayside was? The wayside was often a, 
a reference to the roads that would go in between fields. The wayside was the place in between fields where people would walk to their field. They would bring their donkeys and their mules and their carts and all of those things. And if you've ever worked on dirt roads like that, you know that over time, constant traffic packs down that ground, doesn't it? And those roads would get so packed down from being used that seed would fall. Oftentimes seed would spill out as someone was going to their field. You know what would happen? The birds would come and pick it up because it never made its way down into the dirt. It was too compacted. I think there's a good illustration there for us. Because we come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We come to Sunday school maybe other opportunities throughout the week that you're hearing and listening to the Word of God. And you know what can happen if we're not careful? Our hearts can become like the wayside heart. Because we have been, we have experienced the Word of God so frequently that the seed falls, but it never makes an impact. We've heard it all before. Turn to such and such a chapter, and right away in your mind, you know, okay, I know where this is going, and I know what the message is about, because I already know what this passage is about, because you've heard it before. I've heard all these things since I was a child. I've heard these things since such and such a time. You know what could be happening? If it's not continually transforming and changing us, it could be that our eyes have become dull of seeing, our ears have become dull of hearing, and we're actually rejecting the very truth that God wants to transform us. It could be. Folks, we need to be careful that when we hear the word of the Lord, that we respond like Isaiah with tenderness, responsiveness, and not hardness of heart. A hard heart, listen, a hard heart isn't necessarily just a rebellious heart. It's not only the person that sits in church with an attitude, I don't care, I'm not going to listen to God anyway. That's not the only person who's in danger of this. But those of us who sit and think, eh, it doesn't really matter so much to me. So-and-so could use this, and so-and-so needs this, but I'm pretty good. I don't really need to hear from God. No, folks, listen, if you have lost the wonder like Isaiah had, whoa, mine eyes have seen the king. I've been enlightened by the word of God, and I've gotten a glimpse of who God is, and Lord, I surrender whatever you want from me. It's yours. If you've lost that, and you're no different. And folks, all of us are susceptible to this. As we go back to Isaiah 6, I want to show you one more thing. You see, God has an eternal purpose. And God is sovereign. And the truth is, and we may not like to think this way, but the truth is that God is working not only to bring repentance and conversion, but God 
is also working to hold accountable those who will reject him. And notice it says in verse number 11 here, Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. God said, You just keep preaching, because as they continually harden their heart against me, my judgment is coming upon them. We want to think that all preaching has as the end goal the salvation of sinners. And, and don't, don't misunderstand me. It is God's desire that all men would be saved. But for those who will not, the preaching of the gospel is actually still fulfilling God's purpose in their life because they stand without excuse before him. God said, just keep preaching, Isaiah. My judgment's coming. Your job is to be a messenger until that time. Now, here's what I love about this. God in his sovereignty and his eternal foreknowledge never left his people without a light. All the while that they were closing their eyes, closing their ears, Ignoring the truth, God still had a preacher there. God was still proclaiming truth to them and still giving them opportunity and space to repent. You see, God is merciful and gracious and kind. And friend, no matter where you stand today before God, here's what I know. He has you here because of his mercy and his grace. You have the opportunity today to sit under the preaching of the Word of God, to hold the Bible in your hands, the very revelation from God to man. Now, what you do with that, that's between you and God. What you do with the truth that you're presented with is between you and God. It's either going to change you or it's going to make you accountable. But don't ever think that God hasn't given you opportunity. You're here today because God is giving you light. Can I admonish you and encourage you to respond like Isaiah? An awareness of who I am in light of who he is. And absolute surrender, whatever you want from me, Lord. My life is yours rather than responding like the people of Judah who say, keep preaching truth, but we really don't care. Your choice.